Hello and welcome to the REORG Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stress and distressed, restructuring and post-REORG in the European and SEMIA markets. It's Tuesday, July the 26th. I'm Giulia Rusconi. And coming up this week, David Mayo will tell us about the latest developments in the restructuring of Scandinavian Airlines, also SAS, which has filed for Chapter 11 in the US. Magnus Sherman will update us again on the state sovereign debt and Ukraine's state oil and gas naftogas, as there have been some important developments since last week. Finally, Katerina Dacie has spoken with our reporter Beatrice Mavrolion on the status of the primary market and will play their conversation. David Mayo is our distressed debt legal analyst in the US and he has been following the restructuring of uh, Scandinavian Airlines, also called SAS, which has filed for Chapter 11. Hey David, thank you for dialing in today. Could you fill us in on what's happened in the Chapter 11 case so far and the latest developments? Sure, and thank you for having me on the podcast today. SAS filed for Chapter 11 on July 5th in the Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of New York in the midst of a pilot's union strike that started on July 4th. The strike of over 900 pilots forced the company to file bankruptcy without debtor in possession financing in place, or dip financing as we call it in the U.S., because of the strike's massive impact on operations and liquidity, forcing the cancellation of thousands of flights. The company had been in discussions with potential lenders for a dip financing facility to fund the Chapter 11 cases in the amount of about 7 billion Swedish krona, or roughly 700 million U.S. dollars. But they were forced to put those discussions on hold to mediate with the pilots' union. The strike also threw a wrench in the company's pursuit of its long-term restructuring strategy, SAS Forward, which, among other things, requires a substantial reduction in labor costs. Fortunately for the company, though, they ultimately reached a deal with the unions on July 18th, agreeing on new five-and-a-half-year collective bargaining agreements and ending the strike. But not before the 15-day strike cost the company an estimated one-and-a-half billion krona, or about 145 million U.S. dollars. So now with the resolution of the strike, uh, SAS is able to refocus its efforts on obtaining dip financing with an aim towards achieving SAS forward. Okay, could you tell us a bit more about um, this restructuring strategy, SAS forward? And also, how did the company arrive to this point? The company announced SAS forward uh, in February of this year, calling it a comprehensive transformation plan. The ultimate stated aim of the bankruptcy is to effectuate SAS forward through a plan of reorganization. I'll walk through the components of the strategy in a moment, but as for how we got here, SAS primarily pins its financial woes on the COVID-19 pandemic. The 2020 recapitalization wasn't enough to stem losses, forcing the company into further restructuring negotiations with its key stakeholders, which resulted in SAS Forward. The hallmark features of the Forward strategy are a conversion of about 20 billion krona roughly $2 billion U.S. dollars of uh, largely government-held debt into equity and raising new liquidity in the form of about $9.5 billion krona, that's roughly $950 million U.S. dollars, 
uh, and exit equity capital. To effectuate the plan, the company says they would need to cut annual costs by about 7.5 billion krona. That's about 750 million U.S. dollars. Uh, SAS aims to accomplish these cost reductions primarily through reducing labor costs and renegotiating aircraft leases. So what's uh, next? And where does SAS stand with uh, its stakeholders on restructuring negotiations? The immediate thing to look out for in the Chapter 11 cases is a motion to approve dip financing. The company said that pre-strike, they were in in advanced discussions with several potential lenders, so we should expect to see a motion in the near future here. As for the status of creditor negotiations, SAS Forward already has the support of the governments of Sweden, Denmark, and Norway, uh, each of which directly or indirectly holds company debt. Sweden and Denmark are also shareholders. Uh, The agreement with the pilots union is a major step forward as well given the importance of cutting labor costs to effectuate SAS forward. And the company says the new CBAs achieve the cost savings they need. The company also said they, in, they intend to enter into a restructuring support agreement that would set the union's claims in the Chapter 11 cases. So that's another thing to look out for in the coming weeks. That leaves aircraft lessors from whom SAS will need concessions on what the company says are substantially above market leases. We don't have much visibility on these negotiations thus far, uh, other than SAS telling us in their initial Chapter 11 filings that they have a lot of work yet to do on that front. As for the new equity raise, uh, SAS says its advisors have been in active discussions with potential investors since before the bankruptcy filing. Thanks a lot for joining today, David, and I look forward to speak to you soon. Thanks very much, and thanks again for having me on the podcast. Now it's time to check in with Simie and Magnus Sherman, who's covering Ukraine. Um, it's been another busy week, Magnus. Can you tell us more what happened with Naftogaz that we talked about um, about it last week and, you know, in general, what's happening in Ukraine? Yeah, we um, had uh, two major developments last week. Um, Ukraine's uh, sovereign bonds, so the, the Ministry of Finance, launched its um, a consent solicitation uh, seeking a delay of payment on its $20 billion of euro bonds uh, for two years, so running until September 2024, um, and also on the $3 billion of outstanding GDP warrants that were issued back in 2015. Um, so the plan is a, a simple delay. There's no haircut on the principal and interest will, will continue to accrue. Um, there's no consent fee for the bonds, but there is a consent fee of 5% um, on the on the GDP warrants. And do we know how investors have reacted to this proposal? Yeah, so it's generally been um, been well received. Um, I mean, there's a lot of understanding of, of the Ukraine of Ukraine situation here. Of course, you know, we should remember that they're doing this. Um, because of, of, of the ongoing war, and there's a five billion uh, monthly budget deficit that they have to cover. So this is to to plug the um, the outflows of hard currency. Um, and a large group of bondholders, we don't know exactly how large, but BlackRock and Fidelity, including, um, have already supported this plan. And as we mentioned, there there has also been a development at Naftogas. Can you fill us in what what's going on there? 
Yeah, so at Naftogaz, this um, state-owned oil and gas company in Ukraine, um, they launched a process before the sovereign to um, secure a two-year de- delay on, um, on on payments on the three bonds they have, totaling about $1.4 billion. Um, and this wasn't very well received. Um, a number of large bondholders argued that the company can actually make this payment, um, the, especially the, the short-term payment that was due last week on the 19th of $335 million. And um, that there is general understanding among the bondholders, but they think that the company should also be honest, and they feel like that's been lacking a little bit in this process. So yesterday, on Monday, uh, the company uh, sent out a statement saying that they can now see from the voting instructions that this plan that they released on the 11th of July will fail at the bondholder meeting that's taking place today. And so they're now going back to the drawing board and uh, coming up with amended terms. In the meantime, there's the development that that the, um, the 2022 bonds uh, have a grace period that started on the 19th. That expires tonight. And um, the company has therefore requested uh, political permission in the cabinet in Ukraine to um, to pay bondholders in full. So there could really be two very, very different scenarios for, for note holders here. And we just don't know uh, which one it'll be yet. So we're, we're keeping our, our eyes on this case. We are indeed keeping our eyes on this case and we'll check in again next Tuesday with you to see if there has been any development. Our staff writer and co-host Katerina Dassie has called our reporter Beatrice Mavrolion to discuss the status of the primary market this week and the pipeline. And here is the conversation. Hello, Beatrice. Can you tell us a bit about what happened in the primary market last week? So um, market conditions seemed more positive. Women's health-focused pharmaceutical company Theramex priced its 550 million euro term loan B at a 94.75 OID with an E plus 525 basis point margin. This was tighter than the original OID, um, price talk OID of uh, 93 plus or minus half a point, demonstrating um, that for good quality credit, investor demand is robust. Um, meanwhile, the Swedish B2B distribution services provider OptiGroup is trying to price the debt it struggled to syndicate in May by selling it to a group of investors who were supportive of the transaction back then. The deal um, will fund the concurrent acquisitions of OptiGroup and Dutch B2B distribution business Hygos by FSN Capital Partners. And it originally included a, a 515 million term loan B and a 50 million um, delayed draw term loan B. The new structure, however, is, is expected to include a 200 million pre-placed second lien facility and a 365 million euro term loan B. So at what level is uh, OptiGroup the new-term loan be expected to price? So pricing in May started at E, point five, uh, e plus 525 basis points with uh, an OID in the range of 94 and 95, although the OID on the issuance is thought to have widened as far as 91 during syndication. Um, this time pricing is, is still to be determined, but one buy side source says he expects the margin to be unchanged at E plus 525 and the OID to be around the low 90s level, which is where it was towards the end of syndication in May. Um, meanwhile, um, we also have, um, we also had another uh, couple of deals last week. Um, there was the EE, 
e-commerce group Best Secrets, uh, Best Secret, which also managed to um, price an additional 35 million euros of its um, uh, floating rate notes, which were priced earlier. Um, and at the same time, there were press reports indicating that Chelsea Football Club's new owners were raising a, a 500 million sterling term loan and an, an RCF of about 300 million sterling. Um, this follows um, the acquisition of the club by U.S. financier Todd Bowley and um, Clear Lake Capital in May from Roman Abramovich, who has been sanctioned, obviously, by the U.K. and EU and who put the club for sale after Russia invaded Ukraine. So there were a couple of deals last week, but what about this week? Have there been any other deals priced? So um, Dutch geo data, data provider um, Fugro also announced a new um, sustainability-linked um, financing to replace its 250 million euro RCF and 188 million euro term loan. The financing comprises a 200 million um, three-year RCF and a 200 million three-year term loan. Um, meanwhile, BC Partners is financing its acquisition of a 50% stake in Italian packaging group Federagoni from Bain Capital with a 1.18 billion euro bridge loan provided by a group of, of seven banks led by Goldman Sachs, according to an article in Bloomberg. Um, BC Partners um, plans to refinance the bridge loan with a, uh, later with a bond issuance, but this obviously isn't in the market yet. And uh, what are the expectations for primary market after the summer? Is it going to pick up? Yeah, so a number of CLOs are trying to price before August. Um, and, and I think one did on Friday. And if they do, um, new issuances will come to the market in September, supported by greater demand. Um, so debt expected to come to the market soon, um, as soon as possible, includes um, debt for issuances for Unilever's sale of its tea business, Ekaterra, to CDC, um, debt for the combination of consumer data analytics companies uh, Nielsen IQ and GSK, a bond-to-loan refinancing for gas storage terminal group Rubis, um, debt, which is actually thought to be in pre-marketing now for French media content services group Technicolor spin-off spin of its Technicolor Creative Studios, or TCS, to create two separate entities. Um, also, new debt for French real estate management company Emeria, also known as Sponsia. And for the Belgian human resources manager, um, House of HR. Um, and at the same time, Ketter and Flint are pre-sounding lenders over potential refinancing um, because they both have um, uh, 2023 maturities, of course. As always, more information on all of the situations and events discussed in the podcast today are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.